Hey there and welcome to a new episode of the Alfred and Max Chronicles. In today's episode, our guest Max will guide all people that are interested in taking a career as pilots and guiding them through all the steps in the journey that need to be taken in order to reach this goal. So Max, let me stop doing the talking and let you do the dirty work for me. <laughs> <laughs> good afternoon, Alfredo. How are you today? I'm pretty well. How about you? Good, good. Today we're going to talk about my favorite subject. And, uh, you know, whenever someone asks me about aviation and also golf, I make it a point to give them as much information as I can get them excited about the uh, the field and uh, what it takes to become a good pilot. Okay, you want to ask questions or should I just get started on my own? I mean, I think you could get started, but I'll just start from the beginning, which is pretty obvious. Okay, now I'll start from the beginning. And wherever you don't understand something, Alfredo, I'm sure it's the same thing for the listeners also, young listeners, you can always stop me and ask a question to okay, clarify something. for sure. All right. First thing, for pilots, young pilots, or those who are listening, number one thing you should do before you do anything else, if you want to become an airline pilot, is go for a small medical exam at an aviation-approved, uh, civil aviation-approved uh, doctor in your area. You can find this information from your local civil aviation organization. In case of U.S., is the FAA. Right now we're in Italy. In case of Italy, it's ENAC, E-N-A-C. And get yourself medically certified to become a pilot. The reason I say this is to fly an airplane, you need three licenses. Uh, To fly an airplane commercially, uh, to work for an airline, you need three licenses, and they're all important. Obviously, the first one is the license to fly an airplane. The second one... Can I stop you real quick? So, uh, by commercial... Uh, do you mean just bringing people or is it like a certain number for it to be commercial? Yeah. Commercial basically means you can get paid legally to fly. Okay. This could be bringing two people or 200 people. doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. So to become a commercial pilot, three licenses are very important. One, obviously, the license uh, to fly the airplane. Second license is the English license the license to be proficient in English, aviation English, and the third license is the medical license. You are medically fit to fly an airplane. And what happens is it's very common, especially among men, that about 8%, I I can't remember the number, 8% or 7% or something like that, men are colorblind. That doesn't mean they're blind, or that doesn't mean they only see in black and white, that means they cannot distinguish between certain colors. Okay. okay. I have like a friend that yeah. has a similar problem. Yeah. And he took a medical test to become a pilot, but he realized that he could not distinguish green and red. Yeah. So if you cannot do that, then obviously you will not get the medical license. If you don't get the medical license, then, uh, you know, it's, it's money wasted in a career that you will not be able to get a job or you will not be able to get the license. There is some technology out there now that is addressing this. I don't have any information on that, but that's the first thing you want to do. You want to get yourself medically certified so you can see that you're medically fit. Okay. After that, the journey starts. Picking the right flight school is also very important. You could go to a school and give them a lump sum amount of money 
and start training every day. And in six months, you are a pilot. Okay. That easy. That easy. If you have the money to spend all in one shot. Or you can go to a traditional aviation school where there's a three-year program or a five-year program like the school where I teach, one of the best schools in Rome. And uh, what happens here is the students come in the high school years and they stay here uh, five years. In those five years, they um, learn uh, many subjects in aviation. They learn other subjects. They graduate as a high school student. And at the same time, uh, they complete their uh, aviation uh, training also. And by the time they finish high school, they are at least uh, instrument rated. Now, what is instrument rating? I will explain. The steps in aviation, first, you get a private pilot license. This license entitles you to fly during daylight and uh, not in... Uh, uh, how should I say, not in low visibility conditions. That means you, you fly solely by looking outside, not by your instruments. Okay. And after this license, the next license most students get is the instrument rating or the instrument. It's not a license, but it's a rating on top of your private license. With this rating, you're able to fly uh, in low visibility conditions during fog, during rain, during uh, you know, a situation where you can't see outside. After that comes the next license, which is the commercial license. With the commercial license, you can now legally get paid to fly. Until you get a commercial license, you cannot get paid to fly an airplane. You can fly for fun, but you can't get paid. So choosing the right school is very important and choosing a school that has a structured program, uh, a program that is uh, well laid out and covers all aspects of aviation, not just uh, those subjects that will get you through the exam, but all aspects is very important. Uh, I, I don't want to be an infomercial for our school, Nobile here, but our school is pretty good and they have a very good program where students join in the high school years and when they finish high school, they're high school graduates as well as pilots. Okay, so no advertising here, but of course, uh, you're being objective and like... Yeah, I'm being, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm talking about here in, in Rome, okay. There are many good flight schools all over the world, but if anybody who's listening to the podcast is in Rome, I suggest uh, they should look at Nobile as a choice for becoming a pilot. Okay, so basically we have, from what I understood, we have this first license that is only for flying in, let's say, easy conditions where it's like really visible without using instruments. So no nighttime, no fog, and no cold weather. Then there's the instrument one, and that's the complete opposite because it allows you to do the things that you couldn't have done with the previous license. Yeah. A small correction, even with the private license, there is some night flying you can do. Uh, there are some limitations on what you can do. And there are some limitations on how far you can go at night. Uh, those, I mean, I don't want to take the whole podcast time explaining those, but in essence, not a whole lot of night flying with private pilot license. With instrument flight, with instrument rating, 
you can fly in any weather. And like we discussed in the previous episode, the hours of building the hours. Okay. Is it only once you get your first private pilot license, or is it already before that? Well, from the from the time you start flying an airplane, whether you're flying with an instructor or whether you're flying alone, your time is building. Okay. Okay. You have your logbook, and the instructor is next to you. And you are the student, you are putting that time in your logbook. And you, when you, depending on which country you are in, but let's say we take an average number of 40, 40 hours. Uh, because in Europe, the regulations are a little different than in US. In US, the regulations are a little different between the types of schools. Okay. So let's say we take an average of 40 hours, 40 hours of flight time. If you have done with instructions and solo, solo means flying alone and you fulfill all the requirements, you can apply for the license, take an exam, a written exam, and then a practical exam, and uh, get your private pilot license. 40 is the average, but I rarely see students completing 40. On an average, good students finish in about 45 to 50 hours. I have seen students go as high as 70, 80 hours also. You know, So uh, depending on how quickly they understand all the concepts, and how quickly they are able to uh, grasp the knowledge. Okay, and after the um, instrumental license, if I got that right, yes. Um, what is the next step? Okay, next step usually is the commercial license. Now, when you're flying as a private pilot, usually you're flying a very simple airplane. There's not a lot of complexity in the airplane. You add the power, it takes off, and that's it. But when you are getting a commercial license, now you're looking into complex airplanes airplanes with uh, landing gears that are retracted, airplanes with uh, adjustable pitch prop, uh, this is the uh, the propeller's angle uh, and how it changed, and many other factors. And sometimes people even use a multi-engine airplane, an airplane with more than one engine to get the commercial license. So you add more complexity to your flying, you add more exposure to different elements, more, uh, you know, to occupy you in the cockpit to get that commercial license. So, like, complexity-wise, it is a completely different thing. Well, the basics are the same. Basics of a Cessna 172 or 152 and a Boeing 747 are also the same. Okay. Six basic instruments and everything else afterward is, uh, you know, the level of complexity for that airplane. But when you're flying a commercial airplane, uh, there's more to do than just flying a regular, um, you know, single-engine Cessna 172. When you're taking a commercial exam, you are required to demonstrate knowledge and skill of handling multiple situations at the same time. When you're flying f for a private pilot license, the requirements are less. Okay. There's one more thing I should mention here. Um, there's also another license which is on a lower level than a private pilot license also. This is for people who just want to fly for fun near their home, take their friends out for a little flight. Um, in U.S. it's called recreational license. In Europe it's called LAPL, light airplane license or something. Uh, with this license you can only fly within 50 to 60 miles around the airport where you live or where the aircraft okay. is based and you can only fly during daytime and in so good it's weather conditions. even more simplified version of the private exactly. pilot. Exactly, okay. and it is just for fun. It's, it's, it does not 
take you towards any career. This is just for you, for your friends. And like I said, only within 50 miles of where you are. And one more, by the way, one more thing I forgot to mention with a private pilot license, you can cross into another country also. Okay. With this light license, LAPL or recreational license, you cannot. You need to stay within 50 miles of your airport. So you're going, lifting off from one airport and you have to land back in the same one. Same airport. I mean, and also, I mean, you can, you can land at another airport also, but you must be within 50 mile radius, 50 or 60 miles. I don't know the exact rule now. Okay. But somewhere within that, uh, that distance of the airport from where you took off. Okay. And what if, now I'm thinking creativi- creativity-wise... Uh, what if somebody starts doing from an airport to another 50 miles distance? Can they go like further? No. Or is because it like the from first? your home airport? Okay. Uh, from your home base. So, for example, if your home base is uh, Champino, uh, well, Champino will not allow <laughs> recreational airplanes to fly, but let's say a small airport. And so, wherever you go, it should be no more than 50 miles away. Okay. And when you get there, you need to come back to your home base again. And um, after getting the, the final license, the commercial, mm-hmm. uh, what are the steps that you would need to take? Uh, good Is question. it still the same process, building the hours? Good question. Very good question. That's where most pilots or most young pilots give up. They get a commercial license, then they realize, oh, ATP is so far away. I can't afford it. I don't have the time. Uh, you know, and... They just lose motivation. Uh, my suggestion to them is if you're in U.S., there are many things you can do. You can become a flight instructor. You can get paid for teaching other students. At the same time, you're building the time for yourself. You can uh, become a multi-engine instrument uh, rated uh, instructor also. You can fly. So this way you can fly multi-engine airplanes. Someone else who's learning is paying for the time. And you are getting the experience. You can become a crop duster like me, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, spray chemicals on farms to kill those bugs or pests or whatever. Uh, you can do banner towing, which I kind of enjoyed, flying a very slow airplane over the beach, looking at people laying down. Um, it was boring, but it was interesting at the same time. Uh, you can do skydiving flights. You can do many things to build that time. Remember, from a commercial license to an ATP, is a journey of almost 1,200 hours. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot, okay. So if you plan to do this just by renting an airplane and doing it, I strongly, I will discourage you from doing that because if you're going to rent an airplane and do this, imagine 1,250 hours. Average cost of renting a plane yourself and flying yourself for 1,200 hours, uh, you know, you can do the math about $150 per hour. Multiply by 1250 that's, that's a lot of money. Okay. I think 180000 uh, Well, uh, it's kind of late in the afternoon. My math brain is now working. <laughs> it but should be a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Okay, but it's roughly, now that you ask me, it's more than 200000 actually. Okay. Yeah. So, but the thing is, it's not cost effective and it doesn't get you anywhere and you don't really learn anything. When you're working as a CFI, you're teaching other students uh, you're learning because you're teaching and it looks good on your resume also when you go for an airline job and they know that you're a flight instructor before that means you have seen different types of people you have seen different types of conditions 
When you fly as a crop duster, they know that you are good in the maneuverability of the airplane because you have to fly really low. And, uh, you know, so it's better to take those routes in U.S. Now, if you're in Europe, the situation is totally different. In Europe, you have airlines like uh, Ryanair, uh, EasyJet, uh, Starlinks, Vueling, five, six different airlines that offer cadet programs. That means once you get your commercial license, then there's multi-crew coordination uh, training. After that, you can apply for a job at Ryanair, and they will hire you as a cadet pilot. So you can start flying. You can start flying Boeing 737s. You will not be the captain, but you will start gaining experience. For that, they require that you have the ATP written exam done. Which is the further... Which is the one after commercial license. Okay. Uh, and that this exam has two parts, ATP written and ATP practical. For practical, you need 1,500 hours. For written, you don't need anything. After commercial, you can take it any time. Okay. All right? Now, also keep in mind that a written exam is good for only five years. So once you pass this written exam, you must complete 1,500 hours okay. in five years. Otherwise, the exam is expires. Is that doable? I'm sorry? It yeah, yeah, yeah. If done. you're working for an airline, if you're working for someone like Ryanair, you will do about 800, 900 hours a year in four so years. So basically, in, uh, let's say in the States, you need to gain experience through flying the small planes, the crop dusters, the banner, uh, the name again? Banner towing. Because banner in the U.S., towing. airlines like to see pilots with hands-on experience. Okay. And instead in Europe, it's kind of more simplified where the yeah. airlines themselves... But, but the airlines here pay less. In U.S., when the airline will hire you, they will pay you a decent amount of money. Okay. Here, uh, the airline will not hire you. I mean, the airline will hire you, not pay you so well, but uh, you're getting the experience. Okay. So it's a trade-off between one or the other. Okay. And of course, a fundamental thing is to never rent because it's expensive and you can get paid for it. You can't get paid for it, and you're not really learning anything. You're flying alone, you're flying with friends. You know. So it's always good to be teaching, it's always good to be working, so it looks good on your, on your resume also. So now that we painted basically the journey from point A to point B, where at the end you have a complete, uh, let's say, knowledge and understanding, and you can fly those big planes, let's talk about cost. What would be the cost and time to go through one license to another and reach the final step? Good question again, Alfredo. Um, first of all, I want to clarify one thing for students or young pilots who are listening now. If you plan to work in Europe, don't do your training in USA except for the private pilot and instrument license. Because if you do your ATP and everything else in US and you come here, you basically have to redo the whole thing again. If you plan to work in U.S., don't do in Europe your training because it's not going to help you. Many, many of these licenses or ratings you'll have to do all over again, okay? Uh, EASA, which is the European Aviation Safety Agency, and FAA, which is the Federal Aviation Administration of U.S., they are working on recognizing each other's qualifications, but that has not happened yet. The private pilot license can be transferred with a small exam here, the instrument rating they are talking about accepting with some small um, training here, an American license. 
but that hasn't happened yet. So my recommendation, first of all, would be to, depending on where you want to work, is to get your training over there. All right. Now, for students who are or the young pilots who are in other parts of the world, who are listening to this, guys in Malaysia, guys in Africa, Asia, okay, you can do the training in your own home country. And once you do the training, you can get it transferred to wherever you are planning to go and work. Uh, if you plan to work in your own country, well, then you don't have to do much changes. But if you plan to work in Europe, then you'll have to come here to IASA and do some conversions. If you plan to go to U.S., same thing, you have to do some conversions over there. Okay, so let's say moral of the story. We uh, Moral of the story, if you want to work in U.S., get all your training done in U.S. If you want to work in Europe, get all your training done in Europe. If you want to work anywhere else, uh, stick with the local civil aviation authority and local flight schools. And if you're not sure, write me an email. I will be happy to find out for you what's the best situation for you. Okay. So the let's say the slogan or the phrase would be to keep it local. Kind of keep thing. it local. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can say keep it local. See, you have to keep in mind before you start your journey, what is your end goal? What do you want to do? Where do you want to be? You want to be in Europe, you want to be in US, you want to be in Africa, you want to be in Asia, you want to be in the Pacific side, you want to be in the Far East, then work accordingly. And once you have the experience, you have a good job, you're working for a big airline, you have, you know, you have, uh, uh, you have added four to 5,000 hours to your logbook, then pretty much you can go anywhere. All airlines will hire you Whatever training or whatever changes are required, they will help you get those. They will pay for all that stuff. Then yeah, nothing to worry about. Okay, so but it's more about building everything. Building everything. Locally exactly. or like yeah. in within the continent and then moving on maybe to exactly. other parts of the exactly. world. Exactly. For example, if you join, if a young pilot joins, uh, starts in Europe, joins Ryanair, works there for four or five years, is built... Uh, two or three thousand hours he can go work for fly Dubai in, in Dubai he can go work for Emirates airline and when he gets there whatever conversion whatever training is required the airline will provide that okay so the training would still need to be done yes uh, not so much the training but uh, there are some conversion processes aviation laws of that country policies and procedures of that airline could be different than policies or procedures of Ryanair for example and things like that. So all that is done over there. And then at that point, when you have the experience, you have the flight hours, then you don't have to worry about that. Okay, so it's just a matter of working hard at the beginning stage to then... Working hard and planning right. Okay. Because if you don't plan right, you end up spending more money, you end up wasting more time to get where you want to go. So it's more mostly uh, reverse engineering. You want to see yes. where you want to be yeah, and yeah. how to go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk, like, I know it's hard, but maybe estimation-wise. Like, what would be the cheapest? Cost-wise. Exactly. Okay. Like, well, cost estimations. Like, what would be the cheapest, more or less, to start from zero to becoming a pilot till the most expensive? The funny thing is, uh, Alfredo, the cheapest way usually is the one where you pay in lump sum. Okay. Okay. 
For example, you go to a flight school and you tell them, look, I want to become a commercial pilot in six months. And they will say, okay, pay X amount of dollars and for six months they will train you regularly all the time. And in six months you clear all the licenses and you get a commercial license. Um, don't hold me to it, but you know, I would say about twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. But again, the costs are different in Europe versus the costs in US. Yeah, of course, just yeah, like yeah, a yes. yeah. estimation. Yeah. But if somebody writes to me and they tell me what country they are in and where they want to learn and how far they want to go, I can give them an exact number. Okay, perfect. So I'll leave the, um, the contact details below mine, yeah. and of course I'll forward any yeah, messages please. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be happy to answer that. You know, because this is one question that does not have one right answer. Of course. Depending, you want to do this in US or you want to do this in Europe, do you want to do this in one shot or do you want to do this over two years or over five years, then the cost changes. Of course, just to get an idea, yeah. you know, of course it doesn't cost one or two thousand, it's going to cost more. Yeah. So these people also get their mind right. So, before closing today's episode, I wanted to ask you, do you have any suggestions, like maybe mindsets or advice to give to people that just want to actually are interested and want to start the journey? Well, first of all, I will tell you, it's a great job. It gives you this sense of responsibility that, uh, you know, there are 200 people sitting behind and you are taking them from point A to point B and they have their trust in you. They have their faith in you. Secondly, um, you know, you, it brings a lot of discipline in your life. I learned many things in flying that I use in my daily life. They have nothing to do with flying. Okay, okay. Uh, planning, organizing, thinking ahead, exit strategy, uh, what if, what if, what if, what if, and plan for all those in advance. And sometimes my wife says also, you worry too much about things. And I said, well, it's a bad habit. I have a habit of <laughs> thinking about things <laughs> all the time. And another, she, another thing she says is, well, you're always making checklists. And I said, because this is a habit I have you know, also. And <laughs> when you fly an airplane, even when you want to go to the toilet, there's a checklist for that. What you hand over to your co-pilot or to your captain. You know. So from that perspective, um, you know, it's, it teaches you, it gives you a lot of discipline in life. It opens you to um, new uh, destinations, new cultures. So it's a great job. Overall, I would say it's just, a, you know, as a pilot, of course I'm biased, but I would say it's the best job in the world. Okay. So I definitely think you motivated any person that was let's say interested but now is even more interested yeah and if, if people who are listening if anyone is not so interested send me an email and I, will, I will try to convince you that this is the best job it really is and I mean I'm retired I don't work for an airline and uh, uh, I, it's, I'm not saying this only because you should work for Nobile you should study at Nobile only but wherever you are in the world I can find ways or I can tell you things to motivate you for this job. That is excellent. Thank you so much, Max, for today. You gave us excellent advice, really valuable. And um, I just say that let's call it a day and we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah, I need to get to the golf course. I'm late already today. So yeah, let's meet uh, another day and 
we'll continue from here. Okay, perfect. Thank you for, thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. So, guys, this closes today's episode of the Alfred and Max Chronicles. From your guest, Max, and from your host, Alfred, this is all. And we'll be seeing you in the next episode of the podcast.